0: Prayer with me. God, thanks so much for loving us. Thank you for uh, taking good care of us. Lord, we thank you for your living and active word. Lord, thank you that you use your word to to form and shape us to change hearts and lives. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would do that by the power of your Spirit this morning. I pray that your word would uh, land well on our hearts, that you would use it uh, to form and shape us, change our affections, our desires. Uh, Lord, open our eyes, help us to see what you are doing here in uh, our midst, but also what you're doing around the world. Uh, God, we pray that you would do a good work for your name's sake. Lord, we love you, and uh, we commit these things to you, and pray them in Jesus' name, amen. A number of summers ago, uh, it was probably, I don't know, maybe six or seven now, it was a long time ago, it was the summer, and you know what it's like when you want to watch something good on television in the summer? it's just always a little disappointing. And so I was flipping through the stations and I uh, came across the World Series of Poker. And I thought, why not? What else do I have to do? And I don't know a lot about uh, poker, but I decided that I would learn, not because I was looking for a side hustle, but because there was nothing else to do. And uh, so I watched uh, these uh, these folks uh, gamble a whole lot of money. Uh, and, and win some and lose some or win a lot and lose a lot and I was like well this is kind of interesting and I, I thought it was kind of neat because um, when they when they you know like pass out the cards um, there's a little camera on the table and, and when someone like lifts up their two cards to see what they have like if you're a viewer at home you see what the person has but nobody else at the table does and I thought, well, this is kind of cool. This completely changes your perspective. When you, when you know what they're holding, you, you kind of know, at least in some way, um, how things might play out. Well, this morning, I want to start um, by showing you my cards. Right? Instead of building toward the end, I'm just going to tell you in the beginning uh, what I want us to do, and then I want to backtrack and uh, help us get there. Okay, so uh, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, We are in a series called One Another. We're talking about the one another's in Scripture. We really believe that God has called us to experience authentic community. It's one of the ways that we point people to Jesus. And so we've been looking at some of these one another commands in the Bible and going, okay, what does this look like for us to actually do this? So this morning, our one another is to joyfully serve one another. So that's how we're going to end Joyfully serve one another. And now I want us to think together about how can we get there? Uh, How can we get there joyfully? How can serving one another actually be appealing to us? And then uh, what does it look like for us to actually serve one another? So uh, have you ever stopped to think about what motivates you in life? Have you ever stopped to think about what causes you uh, to chase after God or to even be interested in the things of God? Have you ever paused and thought to yourself, why is it that I even want to or desire to pursue holiness? Have you ever stopped and paused and given thought uh, to why you would want to pursue a righteous life? Or what uh, scripture calls, why would you uh, want to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called? What motivates you? I had a mentor one time that told me, James, what motivates people is fear of loss or hope of gain. Those two things, fear of loss or hope of gain. In other words, we make the decisions that we make because we're afraid we're going to lose something if we don't. Or we make decisions in life because we are hopeful that there is something that we're going to get or something that we're going to attain. Uh, Could I suggest to you that while those two motivations may be true, they are not the primary motivation for the Christian life. We, as followers of Jesus, are motivated by something completely different. And I believe the thing that ought to motivate us or should motivate us is God's love for us. And so remember, I said at the end, I want to encourage you and me to serve one another joyfully. Not begrudgingly, to serve one another joyfully. But but the way that we get there is by first recognizing and seeing and understanding that Jesus faithfully loves you. Jesus faithfully loves you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. This might be a familiar story to you. Uh, if you grew up in the church, maybe you've heard it uh, once or twice before. If not, maybe it's new to you. That's great. Uh, if it is, but John chapter 13, if you have a Bible, if you have your smartphone or an iPad or something, if you're there, just say, I'm there. I'm there. If you're not there, say, hold up. Holy guys are so good. All right, John chapter 13. If you don't have your Bibles, it's up on the screen anyway. Uh, John 13, verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus is nearing death. Uh, He's going to go to the cross next day. Uh, He understands that he is going to give his life away. And I suspect in that moment that Jesus feels that. He's not oblivious to the events that are going to transpire and take place. He's intimately aware. I have no idea what that's like. Like I can't even begin to imagine what it would have been like to be in Jesus' sandals and to know that the next day uh, he would be crucified. And what is amazing to me is that Jesus knows that, and it says here, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Listen, Jesus loves his kids. If you're a child of God, um, God is crazy about you. He's crazy about you. He loves uh, his kids. If you're a parent, then you know at least in part what this feels like. But even if you're not, you can imagine what it's like to have a son or a daughter and to have uh, an affection or a love uh, for that child. Um, I've had the joy over the years of of experiencing uh, life, watching your children do some amazing things. Like, I, I've seen some of your children play sports before, and, and they're good, and they're athletic, and it is fun to watch them. But, but listen, nothing beats watching my own boys. Man, I, I love seeing my kids run around a soccer field and kick. The ball or steal the ball or score a goal or get an assist. Nothing beats it. I've seen and heard some of your children play instruments before, and they are gifted, and they are, are good, and it is a joy for me to listen. I know I say that, and you're probably thinking to yourself, James, that's an exaggeration. It's not. Like, I, I love hearing your kids play instruments. It's beautiful, but listen, nothing beats listening to my boy on the piano. The trombone, kind of like, ah. But the piano, I mean, Noah sitting at the piano, tickling the ivory. Nothing beats it because he's my boy. I've seen some of your little girls uh, dress up in their cute little costumes for gymnastics and, and tumble and run and, and jump and do all that fun stuff. It's cool. It's cool, but nothing beats seeing my little girl run around in a circle with her hair pulled back. There's no one cuter. Those are my kids, and I have a particular affection and love for them. Uh, Jesus had a love and an affection uh, for his uh, kids. He loved them, and Scripture says he loved them to uh, the end. Jesus had a faithful love uh, to his ki- or for his kids. Our love, your love my love, uh, can be a little bit uh, fickle, right? It can be uh, lethargic. It, It can seem like it can grow old. Our love for one another and our love for even the ones that we love, it can seem like it comes and goes. It's hot and it's cold. It's yes and it's no. I think that's a song. Um, But but, but our love seems to be like a roller coaster ride sometimes. How many times have you experienced in your own life a love lost and you look back and you thought to yourself, you know, we just we just kind of like grew out of love. Or, or we went our own separate ways. How many times have you spoken with someone who has experienced a, a broken relationship? Things turned, and, and they didn't exactly go the way they thought they would. And they said, you know, we just, we just kind of grew apart. Or when you're younger, or a teenager, someone says to you, listen, I, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. I heard that a lot in my life. You just, you just grow apart. Like our, our love can be so fickle, but the love of God seen in Christ is a faithful love. He loves us to the end, having loved his own who were in uh, this world. He loved them uh, to the end. I, I love that. Jesus loves with a finish line kind of love. Like his love doesn't dissipate or go away. He is... Uh, loving toward his kids till the very end. Uh, a number of years ago, I had uh, some some friends uh, encourage me and challenge me to participate in an obstacle race. Um, I don't like to rank all the bad decisions I've ever made in my life, but it's near the top. Uh, no, it's not. I, I enjoyed it. Right? It was. It was fun. It was fun to show up at an obstacle race in my shorts and my t-shirt with a bunch of other people who pretended like they were tough, and they served in the military even though they didn't. We grunted together. People painted their faces like they had all the gear. Before the race started, people would come to the starting line, and they would gather together, and they'd hoot, and they'd holler, and they'd chant, and you would see this countdown clock, like counting down to the start of the race. And I loved hearing that horn go off and, and being released out into the wild. And if you've ever run one of these obstacle races before, you know that adrenaline is pumping into your body and that excitement that you can tangibly feel. You feel like, for about a minute and a half. And then they throw you into the water and it's freezing and it's cold and it's muddy and there's gravel in your socks and dirt in between your toes you're crawling underneath barbed wire you are a grown adult and you think to yourself it is a good idea to crawl under barbed wire on my belly why would anyone do that i don't know but sign me up i'll do it a- after a few minutes in that race i am thinking to myself come quickly lord jesus like, end it now and I would be okay. But I have to tell you, when you push through that and when you, hours later, see the finish line, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that compares with crossing the finish line. Right? You are muddy and you are bloody and you are exhausted, but there is this feeling of joy when you cross the line. Do you know that Jesus loves you with that kind of feeling finish line kind of love. Like he loves you to the very end. If you want to know why it is that scripture calls us to joyfully serve one another, it is in part and primarily because God in Christ has faithfully loved you. His love for you and his love for me is seen in Uh, his service of others. Jesus demonstrates his faithful love by serving you. Now, maybe when you hear that this morning, you go, wait a second. Like, Jesus, God, like, serves us? Yes, he does. And and let let me show you verse 2 of John chapter 13. During supper... and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So see the picture. Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas, who had followed Christ for three years, right? He was part of the inner circle. Jesus knows that he is going to roll out. But, But Jesus is not a hapless or helpless bystander in this. Jesus is not powerless to the unfolding events. Scripture says that God put all things into his hands, Which means the sovereign God of the universe is not some cosmic, weak deity that is tossed about by the world's events. He is sovereign over creation. He knows what he is taking place. He is in the midst of it. He knows what's going on. He's not lost or directionless. Scripture says that Jesus is preparing to go back to his Father. And what Jesus does next ought to blow us away. Right? Jesus... It says, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Uh, as, as someone walked the dusty streets of that day, you can imagine that their feet would get like filthy, right? It would get dusty. And and dirty, and as animals would, would pass, and the bathroom where they were, people would, would walk around it, hopefully, or through it. I mean, just in the course of life, when people came over to someone's house, their, their feet would have been dirty and dusty, and in some cases, it would have been uh, filthy. It is like um, my, my oldest son, uh, when he goes to soccer practice, and they're playing outside in the rain. I always know when he has soccer practice because I vacuum my car out. Um, and it, without fail, uh, I take him to practice that night, and he's, and he's playing in the grass, and his feet are muddy, and he, and he comes back, and he gets in the car. And we drive home, and as he's heading uh, to the front door, the first thing that I say to him is, Cademan, remember to take off your shoes. And I, I don't want everything that's on there in the house. Well, during Jesus' day, when people would come to someone's house and they would walk in the host, the owner of the home would come to them and, and they would greet them and welcome them and then they would ask them, would, would you like your feet uh, to be washed? Would you like your feet uh, to be cleaned? Um, and if that individual said, yes, yes, I would, um, it's not the host or the owner of the home who would wash the guest feet. It was the servant or the slave. Right Because that job was like <laughs> nobody wanted it right if if Mike Rowe was alive two thousand years ago, like he would have been doing an episode of Dirty Jobs on this right so so people come into the home and, and a, a way of welcoming them and greeting them would be to wash their feet, but a servant or a slave would be the one who would wash their feet. It was like uh, if you can imagine a, a king or a president walking into a men's fraternity with one bathroom, and going, I got it. It would be like walking into a, a porta john at a NASCAR event, and going, I'll, I'll clean it. Right? no one would expect that, and so the disciples are sitting at would have uh, would have been like a you. Shaped table that was just off the ground, and they would have literally been like laying on their side. And so, if you can imagine a U-shaped table, the disciples are uh, on, their, uh, on their arm, laying down, and their feet are, are out. Right? Their feet are out. And so, what Jesus does in that uh, moment is, is he uh, dresses for service. He takes off his outer garment, he picks up a towel, he ties it around his waist, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Whoa. I mean, just think about that for a second. This this act of service that was reserved for the the lowest of low, that was reserved for a servant or a slave, um, Jesus performs this act on his disciples. Right, And this was not some act to congratulate them for their stellar performance over the course of the last three years. Th- this wasn't Jesus going, well, I just, I'm going to give back now because the disciples have been so good to me. Not long ago, the disciples who had followed Jesus, who apparently had trusted in Jesus, was arguing over who was the greatest. But that, that didn't happen long from this time. Peter... Peter, who, who consistently overpromised and underdelivered. He's at the table. Jesus told him, Peter, you're gonna deny me. Judas, who's gonna sell out his so-called friend, is, is, is there at the table. And so, so Jesus is stooping down uh, in, in, in meeting those who are broken, and, and those who are dirty, and those who are are sinful. This, this is love. This is love. And this, by the way, is the kind of love that God loves you and loves me uh, with. Scripture says that Jesus did not come uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This act that Jesus performs uh, toward his disciples is both practical, but also incredibly spiritual. There, there are massive spiritual overtones. The reason I say that is because verse six, Simon Peter said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing to you, uh, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need uh, to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you, you, you are clean, but not every one of you. Jesus is speaking to Judas, for he knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. So Jesus is painting a spiritual picture of what is going to take place when he offers his life uh, on the cross, dying for our sins. He's saying, right now you may not see it or understand it, but in a short while uh, you will. And Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. I love what author Kent Hughes says about Peter. He writes, good old Peter. Sometimes the only time he opened his mouth was to change feet. That was Peter. He was always sticking his foot in his mouth. Peter says, wash all of me. Wash all of me. One author says, unless Jesus humbles himself as a servant, unless Jesus selflessly offers his life in Peter's place, Peter would have no ability to follow him. So so Jesus is painting this picture of what does it look like to be clean before his Father. Don't don't miss that. Don't miss that. So so Jesus, uh, before he ever says to his disciples, I want you to do what I just did. I want you to follow in my footsteps. Before he does that, Jesus demonstrates his faithful love to his disciples. His faith, he would love them uh, to the end. And then he demonstrated that love by humbly serving his disciples. By humbly serving them. So how uh, do you and do I uh, respond to God's deep and vast love for you and for me? Uh, well, as I mentioned uh, earlier, we joyfully, joyfully serve one another. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed, blessed, happy, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus is Lord. He is teacher, and he has modeled away of life for you uh, and for me. But notice what Jesus has done. This is so uh, critical. New Testament scholar in explaining this passage says that Jesus doesn't just provide the pattern for service. He does do that, but he also provides the power to serve. He makes this point in verse 15. We read the words, just as. And oftentimes when we read that, we just think, well, that's just an example. Like, just as Jesus did, uh, I should should do. And that's true, but there's more to it than just that. Um, Jesus, just as, indicates not only similarity and adherence to a standard, but also the ground on which this discipleship rests and the source from which it gains its strength. Right? So the, the, the strength or the, the wherewithal for us to even begin to be able to joyfully serve is given to us uh, by God. Christ loves us. He demonstrates his love by humbly uh, serving us. And in doing so, he not only gives us a picture of humble service, but he also gives us the power of Uh, to do it. In in the Bible, God's commands, his commands, the things that he asks us to do, are not divorced from the power that he gives to us to actually be able to do it. Right? this This is so important in the Christian life because the temptation, if we're not careful, is to divorce God's love from God's commands. And, and so what it can feel like oftentimes is, is that the Bible or Christians or pastors or spiritual leaders, all they care about is us just getting our stuff together. Like just just get it together. Stop doing that. Start doing that. Stop, 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 start, start, start. If we're not careful, the Christian life can can feel like weighty and heavy commands, uh, if if we separate those commands from the love of God. Love change. I mean, it changes everything when you know that God faithfully loves you. He loves you in your, your brokenness. He loves you in your weakness. He loves you despite your past, your present, or your future. God does not love you and me with a fickle love. Man, he loves us. And when you experience that love, it radically changes the way that you live and respond, the way that you think and act, the things that you do. I mean, we we experience this just in part in life. If you've experienced love from, from another human being before, like if you've experienced that and felt that, in those very best moments, there is this part of you that goes, I, I know you love me. You've demonstrated your love for me. And I will do anything for you because I know you love me. And I want uh, to love you. So, so even when we walk through this one another series, like every week we, we talk about, you know, love one another and encourage one another and bear with one another and greet one another and pray for one another— all of those one another's in Scripture, we we pursue as the people of God because God has has responded and acted that way toward us. We love because God loved us. We encourage one another because God has encouraged us in Christ. We we greet one another because God has welcomed us. He's greeted us. We, We pray for one another because the Spirit intercedes on your behalf and mine. He's praying for you. Right now. Right? And so when we feel that, and when we experience it, it changes uh, the way uh, that we live. Scripture says in, in John 13:15, "For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed or happy. Are you who do them? For I've given you an example that you should also do as I have done. Verse 17, if you know these things, blessed or happy are you if you do them. And so at Christ's point, we talk a lot about uh, pointing people to Jesus. We want you to see and experience Jesus. We want you to know Jesus and follow Jesus. And one of the ways that we do that is by joyfully by joyfully serving, right? We we talk about establishing a culture of joyful service. So just two thoughts real quick, and then I'm going to pray for you. Um, Our service to each other uh, and to God is, is marked by get to and not have to. Our service to God and to others is marked by get to and not have to. And, and what I mean by that is, is we, like, we get to serve God and to serve others. Like, God's so stinking spectacular and glorious and good, and he invites us to participate in what he is doing around the world. And so I don't care what it is uh, you do or in what capacity you serve. It is a great privilege— uh, to be able to do what you do. I thought about this morning as I pulled up and I saw uh, the flags in the ground as I, as I drove down the street to church. You know, every week there is a team that will come early on Friday night or Saturday morning and put those out. Now you think to yourself, James, come on, it's like a dozen flags. Whoop-de-doo, like, like big deal. No, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal because it communicates to community, hey, like we're here. And we want you to be a part of what God is doing here. Do you know that that doing that is a privilege? It's a get-to, and it's not a have-to. I I mean, I guess if no one else will do it, I'll do it. Oh, no, 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 it's get-to, it's not have-to. When you walk in today and you see a smiling face that greets you and welcomes you with a a fancy name tag on, that's not a have-to, that's a get-to. Like, like we want you to greet people as they like people created and made in the image of God. How spectacular is it that God's masterpieces walk through the front door and you are a face there that welcomes them and says, we, we were waiting for you. We're, we're so glad that you are here. That's a get-to. That's not a have-to. I don't care what it is within the context of the local church body. If it's, if it's turning slides on Sunday morning, if it's sitting back there uh, messing with uh, the sound, if it's serving in Christ Point Kids, it is always, always, always a get-to and not a have-to because the God of the universe invites you, invites me to participate and what he is doing. So when we talk about service as a church, we want to be a people who joyfully uh, serve. A duty, duty without delight, is drudgery. If you're you're checking a box, if you're guilted into doing something, listen, you're going to tap out. You're not going to last, because it's going to feel like a beat down to you. But God doesn't invite his people to serve that way. It's a, it's a delight. We've seen and experienced God. And we say, God, like, just point me in the right direction. Like Count me in. We get to. Uh, we don't have to. And, and so, because of that, we want, and this is second, uh, we want to live a life of you before me uh, out of the love that God has given to us. We want to live a life of you before uh, before me, uh, because God has loved us, we just want to function this way as a people. We want to operate uh, this way. Just, just think about your life for a moment. If, if God were to grant you the joy of self-forgetfulness, right, I, I probably think about this um, often because I think about myself often, and I think to myself, what, what a joy it would be if if for a moment, if for a time, uh, I could forget about myself and think about others. I was talking to a friend earlier this morning, and he was saying, James, uh, years ago, you, you told us, when we serve, uh, we win. When we serve, we win. And he goes, I have experienced that in life. What I mean uh, by that is, is what... Uh, God's word says in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed or happy are you if you do them. When you serve, you win. So what would it look like if you uh, lived a life of you before me? What would it look like in our uh, marriages, in our relationships, if we were more concerned with the person across from us instead of the person... We see in the mirror. What would it look like for our students if we operated in such a way throughout the course of the day that we weren't so consumed by what everyone else thought about us or uh, their perspective of us or our reputation uh, in their minds, but we thought to ourselves, how can I uh, serve one another? Just think for a moment, what would it look like if we as a church uh, functioned in such a way that we said, you uh, before me. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus faithfully loves you. He faithfully loves you. He loves you with a finish line uh, kind of love. And Jesus has demonstrated uh, that love for you in his service uh, toward you, primarily in giving his life away uh, for you. And so, and so, uh, joyfully serve one another. If you're here this morning and you're wondering, James, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to do that. I would invite you to have a conversation with me. I would love uh, to begin the process of painting a picture uh, of what that might look like here at Christ Point. Can I pray for you? God, thanks so much for uh, loving us. Thank you so much for uh, your grace and for your goodness to us.